0: One thing that excites me about what Regan said is this will increase the inclusivity of a college education. I think we are going to reach more students. Students have not been accessible in the past who might have different approaches to achievement. And that's what excites me because any student can excel in college if they approach in the right way. So, giving that access more broadly, I think, is absolutely essential and I hope
2: Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad.
1: Hey, Tiffany. Glad to be here.
2: Any jokes today?
1: Uh, I'm working on one right now.
2: All right. Thought so. Well, we are here for part two with Regan Garung and John Dunlosky. So nice to have you guys here. Welcome, Regan. And hi, John.
3: Absolutely. uh, Super to be here.
2: Thank you. For our listeners, this is a part two. So if you didn't get a chance to catch part one, please go back and take a listen to last week's episode. Otherwise, stay tuned. We're gonna dive right back into our conversation on study like a champ. You talked about how in your courses, you naturally find yourself sharing this information with your students and focusing on studying. Ideally, now that the book has launched, how would you like to see it play out effectively? What hopes would you have for who reads it? Who embraces it? Who talks about it?
3: Yeah, you know, I think first off, John and I very explicitly wrote this aimed at the student. I mean, it is not... Like a lot of the other academic stuff, John and I write, it's not like an academic textbook or an academic chapter. It's definitely rigorous and scientifically based, but we really try to keep in mind the fact that this may be a first year student, this may be even a high school student. So, part of the answer is first year students, second year, third year college students, even high school students can really. Set the stage for lifelong learning with this book. Now, the full answer to your question, Tiffany, too, is I think there are a lot of instructors. There are lots of teachers, faculty, instructors out there who would really like to know how to help their students study better, but just don't have the training or the background. And I think by writing this in a very pragmatic way, we are also arming instructors with how to best advise those students. And I think that's what I felt, you know, I mean, this is year 24 or 25 teaching. I speak to so many faculty who really want to help, but they don't know how, right? And I'll even take it a step further. I'll put myself on the spot. For years, I would say, hey, cognitive science says retrieval practice or spacing. Here are some things you should do. And I would often leave it at that, right? But now, and for the last 10 years, I've redesigned my classes so that they'd do space out their studying so that they do retrieval practice. I will tell you, next to every class period, I do retrieval practice. And it becomes such a common language for the course that by the fourth week midterm formative evaluation, students are saying they will use the term, we love retrieval practice, give us more retrieval practice. My goal is that enough people read this. So the science of studying becomes common parlance for everybody. So Regan, can you give us an
1: example of a retrieval practice strategy
3: that you use? Absolutely. I start class by saying, all right, without looking at your notes, without looking at the book, without anything, could you give me two of the most well-known names in such and such theory? Or I will allude to the previous class and literally say, last class, we talked about three ways to change behavior. List what those are. And literally, don't just think about it, commit to it, commit to it on paper. You can type it out, you can handwrite it out, but take a moment, don't look at your neighbor, write it out, get your mind to try and pull that out. And I do three or four different questions like this every class. And I say, you know what? I'm completely okay with you going, I haven't the foggiest idea. Even that, oh my gosh, I don't remember is going to help you remember later so that that's a very very pragmatic tool next to every class period i do that in one format or the other it's either write it down it's either fill out this google form it's do this classroom discussion on the learning management system and i mix it up so that it's not the oh no it's that thing again it mixed it up a little bit but the bottom idea is as simple as that pull from your memory what we talked about in last class
1: and as you described that,
3: I'm thinking to myself, I've never had that happen to me
1: as a student,
0: ever. You should take one of our classes, Brad, and you'll get a lot of it. That's yeah. sure. yeah. As an instructor, it's a great way to warm up yourself. For me, I start every class with a retrieval practice. How Regan does it is great. I just use, for my undergrad intro cognitive, multiple choice questions. But I don't show them the alternatives, just the question. And just like Regan, write down the answer if you know it. they don't know the answer though i then recommend they look at their notes because if the answer is not in their notes Mm. well maybe they're not going to be able to answer this on the subsequent exam of course if they can retrieve it at that point well then they're set right they know this they've instilled it in memory moving on if they can't retrieve it it's a great way to monitor one thing i do though is deconstruct the multiple choice questions to show them why multiple choice is so difficult so that when a teacher says you're going to get a recognition test as an exam don't think that this is going to necessarily be a cakewalk so to speak and i also use the same kind of questions on my exams and i tell them explicitly you're going to have so much practice with these questions hopefully by the time you get to the exam you've reduced your anxiety about this a bit so you wow. know what to expect so it's kind of like trying to hit everything at once reduce anxiety get them used to what's going on in class." but also using that event as a way to improve their retention and knowledge of that material.
2: Excellent. Absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're always looking for the intersection of technology with teaching and learning. And so as you're talking about retrieval and these study habits, I'm thinking for folks who teach or study primarily online, what that delivery strategy looks like, uh, what science has to say. I don't even know how much literature there is out there to support these concepts in that kind of online environment, uh, or if it matters so much. But any word on the technology side of Study Like a Champ?
3: So I think, you know, the moment you talk about online, we've got to make sure we are parsing it into synchronous versus asynchronous, right? So most of the time when we say online, without being explicit, we really mean asynchronous, right? Mm -hmm. So first off, I just want to quickly say you can have synchronous learning online. And then, of course, for the most part, all bets are off. It's the same as what you're doing. Right. I think when it's asynchronous, then getting students to do it, it's still possible. Right, And Tiffany, I think the question in there was, is it the same? Here's the thing, for good learning to take place, practicing retrieval, spacing out your practice, that's gonna work, right? I think the issue is not so much in the modality of the class online or face-to-face, I think what's important here is the type of class. So John and I are very upfront about the fact that some of these techniques will work in an intro class differently than they'll work in an upper level class. We are also very explicit about some of these techniques work better for a math class versus for a literature class or a biology class. And I think that's the bigger variable in my mind versus online or face-to-face. So I think All of this stuff works very well for online, you know, retrieval practice, spacing out your practice, as long as the online instructor has designed their class to make use of these techniques, then you're going to see the same benefits.
2: We brought you here to talk about your book, study like a champ. But we also in the process of bringing you on the podcast, It makes us revisit your profile pages and your literature publications and just because it's excited about all the different things that you're up to. So it's really not fair to you all to leave such little time to talk about some of your interest areas, but we do want to reserve some time for that. So, John, it's your first time on Digital to Learn, and we know you have quite a history of research in student learning and also in metacognition. Tell us what you're working on and... What you want us to know about, you know, what you're up to and what's to come. I'd
0: love to. Yeah. Most of my career, as Regan has said, has been laboratory-based research and a little bit in the classroom. And what I think cognitive scientists, educational scientists have done a really great job with, and this is all over Study Like a Champ, is really revealing what are the best ways to regulate your learning toward a particular learning objective. So if a student comes to me and says, look, this is my objective, this is what I want to do, I can sit down with that student and develop a set of plans that one would suggest, the evidence would indicate, would be an ideal way to approach that goal, which is great. I feel really good about all the research. I've contributed just a little bit to it. There's been lots of people doing excellent work on understanding what is ideal self-regulation. So I tell a student, this hypothetical student who comes to my office and gets all this great information, And then I meet up with them a month later and I found out they did very little. So what I'm really intrigued with now is the nexus between social psychology and cognition and how do you motivate students to embrace those activities that will lead to the best outcomes and note right now, we're kind of have our back against the wall because I have to motivate a student who has all of these myths that learning should be easy. Yet I'm telling them, well, it's really not always easy, but you can excel. But to get to that level of excellence, you're going to have to struggle to begin with a little bit. What I've been doing in my lab and also now in different STEM courses is evaluating the impact of different incentives on student embracing the use of some of these more difficult to utilize techniques like successive relearning, which we discussed in the book quite a bit and so forth, and understanding the role of how to motivate these students. What kinds of experiences do they need that will allow them to realize, hey, this technique, which Regan is telling me should work really well, but I don't think works for me, it just works for everyone else. What kind of experience does that student need to have to realize, oh my goodness, this works for me too. And now when I get outside of college and I really need to learn something well, I'm going to think back to that. And I'm going to use this strategy when I need to say, get ready for my first job or learn you know, the rule for whatever I'm learning. So right now I'm really interested in motivation and hopefully everything i learn about how to motivate students which i really think is to instill more of a collaborative value for the learning context so they they really value what they're learning is a good way and once i learn out how to motivate them again i'll be able to motivate myself to practice more guitar i mean we all i want students out there to know that i understand it's tough to be motivated sometime and we all want to work together to try to overcome these hurdles. So we're all working toward the same kind of a shared goals for the students and so forth. So my work has turned a little to the social psychology side in the last couple of years.
1: I'm gonna follow this up with a serious question, but John, next time you come on the show, we want you to do the intro to Layla. So have that ready for us. Yeah, it?
0: that'll be, no problem with that. <laughs> yeah, that. That's that's easy breezy.
1: <laughs> so John, when you mentioned asking students, what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? What kind of things do they provide as responses to that? Yeah. Great question.
0: Often I get struggling students who come to my office. And many of these students, actually, probably one reason they're struggling is that they're not quite sure why they're in college. They don't know what they want to do after this. So how can you motivate yourself to really put in those extra hours of appropriate work to learn calculus if yet you haven't decided you want to be an engineer? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. When I talk about goals for them, I get very specific and honed in. Like, why are you in my office? Do you want to pass this one class that you're struggling with? Let's look at your current context. What are the limitations on your time? Because right? many of the students at Kent State have jobs and so forth. And how we can take your particular context with what I know about learning to meet those goals for a particular class. So typically when I talk to students about the goals they have, it's going to be pretty myopic, not like, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? It's like, which class do you want to excel in? But quite frankly, they need to be having those larger conversations about what do I want to do when I grow up? And it's only folks like Regan and I who have decided never to answer that question by never leaving school, right? These students are going to leave and actually have to do something with their lives.
1: (laughs) And that's really worth thinking. So. I'm just encouraged to hear that you're having those conversations with your students. Uh, Yeah. That is such a great thing to hear.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: What we're here to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Regan, we're not going to let you off the hook. You just (laughs) published an article recently on two by two together method. Could you share with us what that is?
3: Yeah, actually. So two by two together method is just, Probably the one of my favorite ways to help me be a better teacher. And on the flip side, it's also one of the most direct ways to help students really focus on how they can study better. So it really in many ways ties into our project. But the two by two method is a formative midterm self-evaluation for both student that gets at not just what i am doing as an instructor but what they are doing as students and it's called a two by two because right after the first exam i have them answer two questions so that's the first two and answer these two questions about two people and the two people are me and them and right after the first exam i say look here are your two questions what did dr groom do that helped you learn what can Dr. Groom do that can help you learn better? Because we've still got more than half the term to go. And they write that down. And of course, if I just stop there, that's the classic you know, student evaluation of teaching. If I just stop there, but I don't stop there. I say, okay, great. Now also answer the same two questions about yourself. What did you do that helped you learn well for this exam? And what will you do or can you do to help you learn better? little two by two, two questions about me, two questions about them. That has been my single best way to keep the faults of how I teach and how they learn. So not only by week four, do I get a sense of what I can do and what I can do differently, right there, I am getting them to self-reflect on it. And so what I often do is because I do this you know, Tiffany, you brought up technology. I do this on Google Forms or Qualtrics, depending on what I feel like. It's all there. I compile this, the four sections, and I share it with the class. And mind you, you may say, whoa, you share all the things that they want you to do better? Yeah, I do. And I address it the next class period. I said, you know, many of you said you'd like me to have more notes. Notice many of you said that you like how I don't have a lot of notes. So I'll let you guys find it out. You don't know. But I use that to not only say, look, here's what you'd like. Here's what I can do or why I won't do it. So they get a better sense of my philosophy. But I think what's most illustrating, uh, what I love the most about this is when they report on what they did to study, Firstly, they report a lot of the things John and I have talked about in the book that I've talked about the first few weeks of class. They go, well, here's what worked. I came to class. I read the book. (laughs) I I practiced retrieval. I spaced out my practice. I took good notes, right? All of those goes into the, the things I did that worked. And more often than not in the what I will do to learn better are all those things that we faculty are telling them to do all the time. You know, students will say, oh, yeah, I really should read the book or I should come to class more or I should practice more. And it's them in their voices. And by sharing it, everybody goes, wow. Oh, yeah, we are all in this together. Hence the two by two together. We're in this together. It's this common sharing. And it's been motivating for me. It's been motivating for the students. It's just been a whole lot of fun. So yeah, the two by two together, a simple, simple thing. There aren't enough folks doing formative evaluations and it shouldn't, and notice it's not just the teaching formative evaluation, it's the students putting the finger on the pulse of their own learning. It's not too late to change and after that first exam is the best time. So just love doing that. It works pretty well. Just keeps me on my toes too. And yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't read those comments if I'm really tired at the end of the day, because I'll feel defensive. I'm like, what? You want me to do that? No, no. I, I rest and I look at it and I try and go, all right, let's see this from their point of view. And I've been doing this long enough that I'll tell you that that section of what Dr. Gurun can do has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller, which is nice. There's always stuff there because, right, we can never please everyone, but I'm okay with that. That's life. That's reality. It is so refreshing to hear
1: your perspectives on the work that you do with students i just can't say that enough cuz very often tiffany and i work with faculty who don't <laughs> shame on them
2: uh, <laughs> you mentioned that there's practical next steps in the book study like a champ and one of the things i'm liking about this podcast is that i know that it's a data driven approach that you're offering it's a lifetime of experiences that lend themselves to what you're sharing, but that it's so practical. So we just for our faculty listening, Mm -hmm. there are at least two, three things they can do right now that I can do right now for myself and for my students. So it's just so encouraging. And I wouldn't promote this book to all of our listeners, Study Like a Champ. We on this podcast, for whatever reason, have for at least the last year (laughs) been putting pressure on our guests to make predictions about the future and most of them are pretty comfortable in that area some are like <laughs> what can you edit this out but we're gonna do <laughs> it to y'all too so oh the midwestern y'all just came out I'm sorry about that southern maybe we would like to know what predictions you have about the future of higher ed and especially an intersection of teaching learning and technology if possible
3: Oh man, I love this one because I think about that all the time. So if you go and here's my answer, right? And Tiffany, with your interaction of all that, perfect. Because here's my deal. This is both the prediction of what will happen and quite honestly, what I think has to happen. We've got to look at different modalities of teaching, right? During the pandemic, we saw remote teaching. It was an emergency. It was quickly. What if we did that well? What if we use the evidence-based pedagogy and actually had a remote option for some classes and for some students? Point one, I think that's going to get more common. Some schools have already started doing that. That's point one. Point two, we've been teaching classes at universities the same way for so long. You know, big intro class meets twice a week for two hours a shot, four hours off lecture. You know? The days have changed when there was one printed textbook that wasn't available. Right now, content is available in so many different ways. There are so many different ways to interact. Blended classes, blended classes, blends of synchronous and asynchronous are on the rise. And I predict that's going to increase even more. And I should say I'm cheating a little bit because I've seen the data on our own campus with the increase in blended. It's going up and up and up. And I just think blended and remote, these are modalities and class designs that are gonna get more and more popular, that are gonna leverage technology. Oh, it's it's some exciting stuff, but folks, we've got to look at it and not just go into it willy nilly, but we've gotta do what John and I have been doing all the time is measure, assess learning, assess change, do it systematically, do it intentionally. All right, mm. I'm off the box. Well. <laughs>
0: I'm going to just agree with everything Regan said, because yeah. he definitely could predict the future on this kind of thing. But one <laughs> thing that excites me about what Regan said is this will increase the inclusivity of a college education. I think we are going to reach more students. Students have not been accessible in the past who might have different approaches to achievement. And that's what excites me, because any student can excel in college if they approach in the right way. So giving that access more broadly, I think Mm -hmm. is absolutely essential. And I hope that's part of this new wave
1: of education. Well, Well, I for one hope both of your predictions come true. I'm confident they will, because you said them, you, you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's
0: make it so.
3: So, you know, you mentioned what else with the book and how can we get it out there some more? Just something I wanted to share that I think may be really, really helpful is. I think the students of today are interacting with technology and can be reached in very, very different ways. Sometimes we think, is a book the best way to go? Because how many people are picking up books like this, right? I mean, it's a it's a great resource, but if nobody picks up a book or is not used to looking to a book for help, how is it gonna help? So, you know, John mentioned working on motivation and things like that. I've been working on something a little different, which is how can we get the information or information like this out? to more students. And in January of 23, I will be launching what I'm playfully calling the Pedagogical Influencer Project, or PIP. And what PIP is all about is, just like social media influencers, can we leverage social media to get students to pay more attention to study techniques and things like that? And what's neat about this is, before you start going, oh, what, are you gonna make TikToks? Well, the answer is yes, but it's not me. All right. So I actually got a small grant from the Association for Psych Science and paid a social influencer who was a graduate student to make TikToks on all the material in our book.
1: Nice. Wonderful. Right.
3: And I will say it's a three-part deal. There is TikToks on everything in the book there is artwork special. The book already has artwork. I hired the same artist to create artwork on how to study like a champion. What is retrieval practice? What is space practice? What is interleaving? And she breaks it down all visually. And we are going to launch it on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook uh, and on TikTok. And it's all free. So watch out. The Pedagogical Influencer Project is coming your way for people who want that easy foot in the door to get these techniques. And if it makes them read the book, sure. But the bottom line is it's going to do what John and I really wanted to do, which is get these techniques out to more people. So that is awesome. awesome.
2: If you think of it and tag at one point digital to learn LinkedIn is where we are most often, but digital Storm with numerical too, or just Brad or myself, we will definitely reshare and promote that. That's so exciting for our students too, Indiana Wesleyan.
3: Yeah, and all of the material will be housed on a website so instructors can use whatever they want in whatever way they want to. So yeah, and this comes as a surprise to John, because I was sort of doing it on this time. You know, I had some great students here. Yeah, no, it's just, I mean, I've just been thinking about what is another way we can do it? You know, what's another way we can get this information out there? So let's see how PIP goes. And we need to be thinking that way about multiple
1: platforms for all the information that we develop or research that's created, sharing that in a variety of ways. And to I'm research, not sure I'm that that, that was it.
2: part of the faculty role, you know, 20 yeah. years ago, Were <laughs> <or> faculty <laughs> thinking about, oh, how can I get this content out? not in a book or not in a journal article, but in some kind of practical guide for students or on social media by hiring an influencer. I mean, who knew (laughs) what's next? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go
1: out on the limb here and say, this has been one of the most delightful discussions we've had on digital to learn. You two are amazing and you are inspirations to us for the ways you care about science, but also care about your students and bring those two things together. Mm
0: -hmm. Thanks much. You're very generous, Brad. And Mm -hmm. what a great chat. This has been awesome. It's been fun. Mm
2: -hmm. I know. I feel like both of them wear the data hat, but also the creative hat and the thought leadership hat. And it's like, wow, how many hats can can you wear? (laughs) Um, But we're so glad that you were here. And this won't be the last conversation that we have. Again, we'll be sure to promote your research and all that you're up to on Digital to Learn, and we're going to definitely get John back to start a competition, healthy competition between Regan and John for who's been to Digital (laughs) Digital to Learn the most. So we'll get right on that. (laughs) Awesome. To all of our listeners, you can join us next week with uh, new guests and episodes on Digital to Learn. We don't ask often, but I'll ask now, especially with the excitement of this episode. Please like and share our podcast and continue to help even keep us eager and energized to find guests and keep this podcast going. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn.
2: If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform.
1: Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future.
2: Always keep learning.